Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA Podcast. I am your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. You can follow our podcast or more generally our website because we launched the 94 Feet Report website on July 1st. You can follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report and you can check out the website at 94feetreport.com. We've got tons of great content on the site. We've been covering almost all the free agency signings, giving up reaction and grade pieces almost as soon as they're um, declared official. Um, we also have original content articles coming up this past the past couple of days and, and through the rest of this week as we launch the 94 Feet Report website. We've got articles, we've got podcasts, we've got a great group uh, of writers and, and a team overall. So check out the 94 Feet Report website. This is the fourth installment of the Fresh 15 series in which we have a 15-minute episode recapping the day that was in free agency. Um, today is July 4th, and it was quite the eventful day. We had heard that Gordon Hayward was going to decide on July 4th, originally early in, you know, around noon. It was revealed that he was going to the Celtics, then that was retracted. His agent and team said that he hadn't decided yet, kind of like a Dwight Howard in 2013 situation. Um, ultimately, Gordon Hayward around you know 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time you know, revealed his Players Tribune article saying he's going to the Celtics, so that's official. Pretty big signing right there, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to have Patrick Oxford of the 94 Feet Report um, on the show in just a little bit to talk about the Gordon Hayward signing and the ripple effects that it has on both Utah and Boston. We're going to um, dive into the Sacramento Kings, who made two signings today, signing George Hill and Zach Randolph. Uh, we're going to talk about them signing veterans, and then we're going to talk about the Gallinari sign-and-trade, um, the three-team sign-and-trade that sent Danilo Gallinari to the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, you know, And then the other mo- uh, minimum signings were Mike Scott to the Wizards and Omri Caspi to the Warriors. So in just a minute, we're going to have Patrick Oxford to talk about these three um, important transactions from these three teams. And this is July 4th, Fresh 15 episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. And we are now joined by Patrick Oxford of the 94 Feet Report. Patrick, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Eric. How about you? Doing pretty well. I thought we were going to have a relatively calm day. I knew Gordon Hayward was coming, but I didn't know all the uh, other flurry of signings were happening throughout the day. Um, but we'll talk about those later. Let's get to Gordon Hayward because at early, kind of around noon, it was revealed by other reporters he was going to Boston. Then his team was like, no, we don't know yet. Everyone kind of knew he was still going to Boston probably. Uh, and then around like 6, he finally releases a Players' Tribune article saying he's going to Boston. So um, I want to get your thoughts on the move. Well, more particularly, kind of the ripple effects that it could have on both Utah and Boston moving forward. Right. So uh, for Boston, I think this puts them. I mean, clearly, they're. I think better than they were last season, and they were number one seed. Cleveland probably wasn't giving it their all last season. They probably won't give it their all again this season because they're focused on the finals. But uh, I mean, this pretty much locks up the number one seed in the East. I think for the. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because um, we, as you mentioned, the Cavs are not, not going to take the regular season uh, seriously, and they don't have to, and they really shouldn't, obviously, and the Celtics can, you know, the Celtics don't even have to, they can rest strategically and still win the East, I think that's how much the Cavs kind of take the East uh, regular season as kind of a joke. Um, you know, obviously, Boston now has to make a couple of moves now. They have to actually open up enough cap space to sign Hayward, so it looks like Marcus Smart maybe will be gone, and Kelly Olynyk's going to be gone. Um so, you know, what other moves do you think Boston should make? Obviously, they're probably their weakest point now is probably the front court in terms of rebounding. Yeah, uh, rebounding is going to be a huge issue. You look at their four depth, and 
it's really yeah. barren. If Crowder's your <laughs> starter, and I think they have like Jordan Mickey listed as the yeah. backup right now. Yeah. Obviously, a position. I think uh, they have enough backcourt depth that if they want to go ahead and try to move two players and only take back one player with a lower salary to a team, I'm not sure. I haven't really looked at who they could be targeting, but I think they need some front court depth health help for sure. Yeah, definitely. So that's probably their biggest weakness right now. But, you know, they have time to figure that out. And obviously, you you want to sign Gordon Hayward and then figure things out from there. But for Utah, it's tough for them. Obviously, you know, they, they did everything right. They coming off a really successful season where they made the second round um, 150-plus games. They traded for Rubio. Um, and, you know, there was rumors or reports that Hayward wanted to play with Rubio. They bring back Joe Ingles, who has the same agent as Hayward, who they're also close friends with. And then Hayward does this. Obviously, it's his right to choose where to go to. But it does, you know, it hurts for the Jazz. Um, obviously, I think they're going to make the playoffs next next year because they've got a, they've still got a great team and they're really well coached. But, you know, what do you see for the Jazz in terms of where they could land in the playoff seedings next year in the Western Conference? Yeah, it's going to be rough. If they do get into the playoffs, it's going to be in that probably 7-8 spot, spot competing with the Clippers, the Trailblazers. I mean, the top tier, the Warriors, Rockets, Spurs, and signing that you can probably include the Thunder in that too is probably a guaranteed top four seed, I think, barring yeah. injuries again. And then uh, Timberwolves and Nuggets probably would be the next tier down. Uh yeah, it's going to be competitive. They have uh, pretty much a, Rodney Hood is going to be the one I think that needs to step up scoring-wise. Uh, Gobert is going to keep scoring efficiently. I'm not sure how much volume you can add to his game just because it's a matter of, you know, you take it when the defense gives it to him and he does his work on the offensive boards. But there's no real aspect to his game. So, yeah, they got a lot of points to replace. Yeah, between George Hill and Gordon Hayward. Yeah, and I think it's one of the, one of those teams that you know you're not going to have a great time watching. I mean, obviously, if you like tough, slow defensive teams, you'll probably enjoy watching the Jazz. Um, but yeah, they they have a lot of points to to replace. Obviously, they have Rubio, a great playmaker who can set up for others, but he's not exactly going to light the scoreboard up himself. Um, it's going to be one of those teams that just has to fight and claw for almost every win they get. And I still think, of course, this team has had a lot of injuries in the past, so we don't know, but. If they are relatively healthy, and that's a big if with this team, I still find them as like a 7 or 8 seed just because of how well coached they are and just that kind of defensive toughness and mentality that the team has overall. But, you know, losing Hayward after this is just is just really such a hard hit for the franchise, the fan base, you know, the, the state really overall. Um, but that's how it is. Gordon Hayward to the Boston Celtics. Um, let's stick on the Western Conference because we did mention a couple of those teams that improved. Another team we mentioned, the Thunder made another signing like maybe 15 minutes before we actually started recording this. They signed Patrick Patterson to a three-year, $16.4 million contract. Patterson actually got a player option that third year, good for him and his agent. Um, But this is an extremely, extremely team-friendly deal for the Thunder, in my opinion, and a really, really good signing. I think Nate Duncan tweeted out that they're probably the best this team best suited to guard the Warriors on defense. Um, you know, what do you feel about the signing for the Thunder and how it kind of helps them on defense and what it puts them in the Western Conference? Yeah, I mean, I think they were around uh, number 10 on defense last season. And then you replaced Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis with Paul George and Patrick Patterson. The defense isn't really out of the realm of expectations. Uh, offensively, it's not just going to be the rush show anymore. They 
Patrick Patterson is an actual floor, floor spacer as opposed to Sabonis, who's a theoretical floor spacer. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Paul George is just actual usage player as opposed to Victor Oladipo, who's a clear, you know, role player in my opinion. Yeah, um, and that's a lot of things people don't know about Patterson. You know, they've kind of – some people – it's interesting. In terms of my experience with people on Twitter learning more about Patterson, some people think he's only offensive-minded and some people think he's only defensive-minded, but he's kind of a, a mix of both. He obviously has developed a really consistent three-point shot. I think he shot over 35% on threes for, I think, each of the past three seasons. And then obviously as a defender, he's become a lot more versatile. He can play the four or the five, but he's also, you know, a good enough size and mobility to switch on in the pick-and-rolls to guards, um, which is extremely, extremely valuable in the NBA, especially against the Warriors. Um, you add him and, him and Paul George, and you basically only lose Oladipo, Sabonis, and Gibson. I know Gibson's a good player, and Oladipo's a, a fine player, but, I mean, you add Paul George, all-star. You add Patterson for cheaper than Gibson, who I, I don't think he's as good as Gibson, but, you know, he plays that kind of same role and more of a floor spacer, which obviously the Thunder need in terms of shooting. Um, and now they look to kind of bring back Andre Roberson. Do you think, let's just give a prediction, do you think they're going to bring back Roberson, or do you think it just kind of depends on how much money he gets? Uh, yeah, I think probably, as they've shown in the past, they're not really willing to go way into the luxury. I mean, maybe they're going to be changing their view, seeing as how that didn't really work out for them in the end, in the past. But, uh, yeah, I think if a team just throws a huge number at Robert, uh, Roberson, then he could be gone, because... Again, that tax is, gets scary, but I, I think Robertson plays really well in their system as a guy who can play alongside Patterson because assuming you have two people on the court who can't shoot threes, which is probably the max you can go with at the NBA at this time to run a competent NBA offense, Yeah, you really have to be able to see a role for Robertson. And Patterson, I think, is a person who gives him a role in this offense. Last year, he didn't really have a role in the offense because teams weren't respecting either Sabonis or Gibson spacing the floor. So now that that floor spacing is in there, opening, driving, shooting lanes, everything, huge signing for them, really. Yeah, it's an underrated signing, but a really important signing for the Thunder as they look to compete in the Western Conference. Um, let's quickly get some thoughts on these three-team sign-in trade that was pretty confusing, which isn't actually official yet. Um, that... Ultimately, will send Danilo Gallinari to the Clippers for three years and $65 million. My question is, you know, after they traded Chris Paul, some people thought they were going to rebuild. Some people thought they were just going to try and run it back and be a semi-competitive playoff team. Obviously, it looks like they're going to do the, the latter and be a semi-competitive playoff team. I mean, do you agree? Do you think that the Clippers sh- should be doing this, bringing back Blake to that five-year max, getting guys like Gallinari, or do you think they should have rebuilt? Uh, I think it depends on what they could have gotten for DeAndre Jordan. This, you know, in the last week, I, there was rumors of a trade proposed by them at, during the draft. I, I can't remember exactly what the proponents of the deal were, but I mean, if they didn't feel like they could get a good enough package back from DeAndre Jordan to really kickstart a rebuild, that's not really something that they, as a franchise, some mm-hmm. franchises could, but they, as a franchise, can't afford to go through a long rebuild right now. Yeah. I don't think, you know, Ballmer's going to be in for that. He's really likes winning <laughs> that is so true yeah i mean i have to agree i mean i thought that it would be best for them overall to rebuild but you have to factor in like that franchise the owner right now uh, the 
coach slash GM stolen Doc Rivers there. Um, and plus the fact that they got a very good haul from the Rockets uh, for Chris Paul. They pretty much got like four rotational players there. You bring back Blake, you get Gallinari. Um, I think this team's a competitive playoff team. I think I see them in the playoffs, you know, as we mentioned earlier, fighting with the Jazz for that 7-8 seed. Obviously, injuries depend on, you know, are serious because Blake Griffin has a serious in- injury history. Patrick Beverly has a pretty decent injury history as well. Um, but again, it's an interesting signing. I like the fit in terms of Gallinari just playing for the Clippers, but an interesting move as they look to kind of be that bottom-tier playoff team in the Western Conference. Um, speaking of a team, our one of our final topics... Uh, team in that same division. The Sacramento Kings actually made two interesting signings today, depending on how you look at it. Obviously, we know that they're going for that rebuild. They trade Cousins last year. They get three first-round picks. They take Fox, Justin Jackson, and Harry Giles. And today, they were relatively quiet the first couple of days. Today, they signed George Hill to, what was it, three years, was it 57, I think it was? Um, and then uh, Zach Randolph, two years, $24 million. Um, what's your take on them bringing in these two veterans to the locker room? I mean, I like it. They uh, have their pick, I think, this year, but then next year their pick is gone to the Celtics. So the Celtics definitely don't like these moves. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I think Zebo's probably going to be coming off the bench for them. I think they really like what they have in the Stein and uh, Gal. And then George Hill could start at the two, start at the one. Uh, I mean, he's, ver- he's such a versatile player that – I don't have a problem with his signing ever, really, for any team, for really any duration. Yeah. <laughs> the number might be a little bit high, a, a tiny bit, but, I mean, who else are they paying? Yeah, that's the, that's the interesting thing. I mean, I think I ultimately I'm fine with it, especially with how respected those two are as veteran presence in the locker room. And obviously the Kings are all about kind of building that winning culture starting now as soon as those – key rookies like Fox are getting into the locker room and getting into the NBA so I understand why they brought Hill and Randolph and ultimately I think that you know it might hurt them in terms of if they want to rebuild to get a better draft pick but in the end it might actually help them by helping build a a good winning culture in Sacramento for these kind of rookies to eventually take over in the next couple of years all right well that'll do it for the July 4th Fresh 15 installment of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast Patrick why don't you throw out where people can find your work on our website and on Twitter uh, yeah, so my Twitter handle is at HoopsMetrox, kind of like HoopsMetrics, but OX, the last name is Oxford, and then uh, 94FeetReport.com. Uh, hopefully I should have a new article out in the next couple days. I'm looking at a parody, and I know a lot of people think parody is at an all-time low, but you know, they may be surprised. <laughs> Alright, so yeah, everyone check out Patrick's work for our, our site, 94FeetReport.com, and follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros, and follow our website on Twitter, at the 94 Feet Report. and we'll be back with another Fresh 15 episode tomorrow, July 5th. Take care. <laughs>